You were listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, episode 123. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, hosting here on my own. Usually I have my fearless compadre, Alicia Bachman-Bahari, joining me, but in this episode, I will be running solo. I got a call from Alicia this morning, and do you know what, you guys? Winter is here, and I am really lamenting that fact, but it is here. There's nothing we can do about it, and out here in the West, and I'm sure you guys experience it all across Canada, maybe not so much in Vancouver, but the reality is the snow comes, the cold weather comes, and the driving conditions become quite awful, especially in the early, early stages of winter. So at the time of recording here, we're the end of October, and Alicia called me this morning and said that her daughter had been sitting waiting for the school bus to come for, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes and minus 20 weather, and well, the bus hadn't come. And so she had to go rescue her at the time in which we're doing this recording, and we've got a bunch of things queued up, and we have to keep on our schedule for these podcasts. So I decided to revert back to the days when I did this on my own. So today, I am really happy to be able to go solo, and eh, sometimes I get a little off track. Alicia always keeps me on track, but we'll stay focused today. Today, we are touching on probably one of the most used agreements, trade agreements that Canada has for bringing in foreign nationals, professionals, executives, business visitors, and that is KUSMA. Well, for you newbies to the game, it wasn't always called KUSMA, the Canada-US-Mexico Agreement. In fact, it was originally NAFTA, and uh, it was signed all the way back in 1992 and effectively uh, kicked in January the 1st, 1994. Now, Canada, the US, and Mexico are all signatories to it, and for some bizarre reason, and I think it was Trump that did it, actually, that drove the ship on this, but they decided that they were going to replace NAFTA. On November 30th, 2018, they did that. And for our purposes, you guys, the only thing that actually changed was the name. So the U.S. decided they were going to call it the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, the USMCA. But we call it the Canada-U.S.-Mexico Agreement. How idiotic is that? Okay, anyways, they wanted to change the name and... They did, but in terms of practical changes to um, the provisions and the categories within NAFTA, or now KUSMA, there was very little change. In fact, I don't think there was really anything that was changed of substance. We figured they might update the professional list, which we'll talk about today, or they might make some other changes to modernize the agreement, given the fact it was originally negotiated back in 1992. But no, they did not. So we are left with an agreement that by and large has not changed for, you know, what do we have there? 90 to 30 years and, uh, and, and counting. And so, uh, the whole purpose, like all of these trade agreements is to help facilitate trade 
in goods or services and to make it more liberal and, and abolish all the tariffs and other barriers to trade that exist. Um, and essentially for most of these agreements, and you know, we'll start with Kusma here, but we'll get into the other ones with other countries. Uh, it's not designed to create pathways to permanent residence. It's really designed for temporary entry. But of course, we know a lot of people who come in on work permits are interested in, in transitioning to permanent residence. And in Canada, there are definitely options for doing that. But the primary goal really needs to be temporary entry as, uh, you know, these business visitor or, or work permit options that are available um, are really designed to get them here quickly so that they can work and, and uh, share knowledge and skill and help to facilitate cross-border trade and all of those wonderful, you know, um, you know, policies and provisions for international and, and global outreach and benefit that flows to Canada from those global markets. So that's the real foundation for it. And uh, one thing, a couple items just to highlight as well is that this is only for citizens of the US, Mexico and Canada. And uh, it's not open for, you know, permanent residents of those countries. And it's really each of the trade agreements that we have are, are, you know, there are some provisions that are different from other countries, but for this one, it's citizens. So if you have an Indian national that's a permanent or a green card holder in the US, nope, this will not work for them. And uh, one of the best parts of this is that this program goes through the International Mobility Program. So no LMIA is required. And in the case of you know, most professionals, if they're from the US and Mexico, they are TRV exempt, which means they can apply for the work permit right at the port of entry once you've done that lovely employer portal registration, which we covered um, in a past episode. So that's just a little bit of an introduction to the program. Now let's jump into the categories. And I want to put a caveat out. This is episode one of a two-part series on the NAFTA, <clears throat> excuse me, or KUSMA, Uh, trade agreement that Canada has. We're going to cover um, professionals today, but we're going to leave intercompany transfers and traders and investors to the next podcast, just because there's so much to cover and I don't want it to get too long. Um, You'll remember that we covered business visitors just recently um, in episode 120. So go back and you can cover um, and you'll be able to learn more about the business visitor categories. Uh, But that was covered in 120. And today we will be covering professionals. Now, in terms of the agreement itself, it encompasses business visitors, professionals, intercompany transferees, traders, and investors. So episode 120 is business visitors. Let's dive into professionals. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing! Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jooorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. What are the requirements? Well, like I indicated before, citizenship 
in the case of Canada, if you're coming here, citizenship of the U.S. or Mexico, you have to be working in a profession identified in the list, Appendix 2. We'll cover some of the professions in a little bit. And you have to be qualified to work in that profession. Now, with this agreement, by and large, most subject to just a few exceptions will require some form of degree, post-secondary degree that relates to the work that is being performed. Okay. So there are some exceptions and we'll get to that. But generally speaking, you pretty much need a bachelor's degree in that area or professional field in order to meet the minimum requirements for education. You also have to have prearranged employment with a Canadian employer, which essentially means that you can't hang out a shingle. You have to actually be in an employment relationship with a Canadian entity. Um, And I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily an employment arrangement, but it needs to be prearranged in this in the form that you are actually providing services to an a Canadian employer effectively that's it is is you know to take it down to its uh, simple elements and when you come in you need to be providing a professional level service in the field of qualification as indicated in the appendix and we'll get into that a little bit more and of course compliance with existing immigration requirements for temporary entry so you can't be inadmissible no duis those kinds of things that would otherwise um, be a barrier to entry to canada and admissibility all right let's take a look at the documentation so just to remind everyone, and we covered the employer portal, this is through the, employer, uh, the International Mobility Program. So when you're applying for this work permit, you need to get that uh, employer um, who is employing the, uh, the candidate here through Kusma to register the job offer within the employer portal. So that step needs to be taken first. And as I indicated before, the beauty of this is that you don't need to go and uh, submit work permit applications through uh, the online process. You can literally arm the individual with a package, which we do in our firm all the time, um, that has all the essential components, and we'll talk about documentation here in a second. And uh, when you put that together and you you give it to the individual, they can literally fly right into the airport, you know, Toronto, uh, Vancouver, wherever is, uh, you know, makes sense for you. Now, I'm going to qualify that. Whenever I have individuals flying in, I tend to always direct them to Toronto and Vancouver because that's where the most legacy officers who really understand this stuff are, are situated. Now, Kusma professionals, it's pretty hard to screw those up. In other words, there's not a lot of discretion in terms of the border service officer when they're adjudicating these. As long as it truly is prearranged employment, the person is, say, coming in as a uh, um, well, you can pick whatever, an engineer, they've got an engineering degree. We'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit more, a couple other nuances to it. But they meet the requirements, uh, the educational requirements stipulated in the appendix um, for that particular occupation. And, uh, you know, they've got either a signed contract or, and we'll talk about documentation they've got in place, this prearranged employment, then you arm them with a package. There's really not too much room for an officer to reject it. So I'm a little bit more willing to take a run at Kusuma professional work permits at various ports of entry, uh, even land crossings at times, although I strongly encourage people to avoid coots, which I always do. And, uh, you know, I've got some of those officers I worked with when I did my training on the border and they're still there. And uh, yeah, I, I avoid coots um, just just because they tend to be more difficult. And I understand from my colleagues, although I haven't sent too many people to Sarnia, 
I uh, understand out there, it's, it's becoming much more difficult, not just there, but other ports of entry as well, in terms of when you can submit applications and things like that. The whole concept of flag polling, we won't get into that in our discussion today. And, uh, but I will point out that um, this type of a work permit, Kusma, if an individual is in Canada as a visitor, there is provisions that will allow them to apply for their work permit, their first one from within Canada. This is one of the rarities to um, work permits. Generally, your first one has to be applied for uh, outside of Canada. And obviously, through the pandemic, we had um, some different rules to help facilitate the issuance of work permits and allowing people to get uh, the work authorization authorization that they needed to get to work during what was a very tough time. So there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, um, most people have to apply for their, their first work permit from outside Canada through the online portal. But for these folks, you can actually, if you need to, <clears throat> you can submit uh, an application inland through um, the, the normal work permit extension process. However, I don't know why anyone in their right mind would do that, giving the processing times of up to four to five months. So this whole process that we follow and have available to us can get a worker here fast. So it's as literally as fast as you can register the employer portal, get the supporting documents in place, put the professional on a plane and have them directly fly into Canada to apply for their work permit. All right. What does that package look like? What does that documentation need to include? Well, obviously a copy of their passport, you know, which really they're going to have their passport with them. So I guess a copy is not necessary. They're going to have the original to prove that they're an American or Mexican citizen. Then this confirmation of prearranged employment. Now what they mean by this, and these are some of the examples that they specifically list um, in the program delivery instructions, a signed contract with a Canadian enterprise. So that's one thing. Or evidence of an offer of employment from a Canadian employer. So a simple letter, so contract, a letter from the, the Canadian employer, or a letter from the American or Mexican employer on whose behalf the service will be provided to the Canadian enterprise. And we see a lot of this, individuals that are parachuting in on behalf of a U.S. company or a Mexican company to provide professional level services to a Canadian entity. So they're not actually entering into an employment arrangement or a relationship directly with a Canadian entity, but it's their company they work for that is providing professional level services that are contracted um, by the Canadian entity. So a letter explaining that. And this is one little pro tip if you've never done these. I always provide a letter of support from the uh, either the Canadian company that's bringing the, the professional directly in to be employed by them or a letter from the foreign employer stipulating exactly what their, uh, you know, what their employee is, is going to be doing. And I go to great lengths to touch on all of these specific requirements to give a little background information on the, the companies involved, uh, a, a detailed breakdown of what's going to be provided in terms of the professional level service, as well as the qualifications of the indi- individual applicant. And I break that all down in a nice little um, employer letter of support. And uh, when I first started my practice, we would always include a submission letter, which is from counsel who helped to prepare it, telling the officer what category of, you know, work permit we're seeking entry under and, uh, you know, basically the parameters and just summarize it. But over time, um, I still do a little bit of that, but most of the information I now tend to put into the actual employer letter. And the reason I do that is because sometimes border officers, and having worked as one, will just take your nice little cover letter and set it aside and won't even look at it. So I make sure that all of the evidence that I'm relying upon and all of the explanations and the information and the backgrounds 
um, information that I'm providing is all contained in that employer letter, whether it's the Canadian host company, if it's a true employee employer relationship, um, or the American or Mexican company that's sending the individual up that's parachuting in. All right. So that's, uh, that's to confirm the prearranged employment. Uh, the next things you need to focus on, uh, at least within the document documentation that you're providing, um, you want to make sure you're providing details on who they're actually working for. So the proposed employer in Canada, and uh, you're going to highlight the profession for which entry is sought. So if they're coming in as an engineer, this person's coming in to work as a civil engineer, they will not be, you know, if they don't have the licensing, we'll get to that in a second. Um, that's not a deal breaker because they may be working, you know, um, under, you know, engineers within, uh, within Canada or within the company they're providing that doesn't require them to be specifically licensed. Sometimes we would actually get letters of no objection from the uh, professional engineering associations, for example, <clears throat> if it, uh, you know, if we had ports of entry that gave us pushback, but generally speaking, it's not, they don't worry too much about that. And why? Because specifically when the program delivery instructions, it says, note the role of IRCC or CBSA um, is not to determine whether or not the applicant has the necessary license or registration to practice a profession in Canada. The employer in Canada and the professional responsible to ensure that such requirements are met before employment commences. So uh, it's not really the role of the board officers to, to look for Canadian licensing, but obviously you're going to comply with whatever are the rules within the jurisdiction in which that person is coming to work as a professional if, they're, if it is a regulated profession. So keep that in mind. So you're going to indicate the profession, which entry is sought. You're going to give details of the position. And interestingly, the, the, you know, the detail should be mirroring what was put into the employer portal and registering. So title, duties, duration of employment, um, you know, payments, arrangements as to compensation, things like that. Well, they're all going to be now listed in that employer portal uh, job offer registration process. So make sure that everything is consistent. The last thing you want is to have... Uh, one person doing the employer portal registration and someone else preparing the letter and they don't talk and compensation doesn't line up or, you know, there's a whole bunch of different factors that come into play and you just need to make sure that everything is consistent. And then of course the education qualifications or alternative credentials uh, required for the position must be uh, demonstrated. And we will always include a copy of the bachelor's degree, a transcript, you know, professional license, whatever might be the uh, the requirement to meet the educational credential, uh, the credentials, the minimum educational credentials for entry within that particular occupation within the list of professionals. So that's generally kind of what we do. And um, of course, like I said, the, the minimum uh, educational requirements is really something that the officers key in on. So make sure that you always include copies of those degrees, diplomas, licenses, et cetera, that uh, just confirm um, eligibility. Now, I've had some ports of entry, and this is why I try to just send people to the places I know they're going to get the, last, the least amount of pushback. Um, and I have at sometimes seen border officers wanting original, original copies or the original degree or diploma, which as far as I'm concerned, is just insane. But I have had some or a copy of the original signed contract, things like that. And uh, it's not a practice that I follow in any way, shape or form. I just avoid those ports of entry and I won't name them um, because it's almost like the officers just are assuming everybody is lying and that a copy, a photocopy of a degree that has the person's name, the same name that matches on their passport is somehow a fake document just to get them into Canada. Well, <laughs> that's 
<laughs> unfortunately, you guys, we, we face that at times, especially, and we tend to see it more often at land border crossings just because they have more time on their hands. And it's a whole lot easier to say to someone, um, no, it's not good enough. I need an original copy of your employment agreement. Um, I'm going to send you back to the U.S., you know, turn you around in your vehicle until you can get that and bring it to me. Have I seen that? Yes, I have in the past. Now, for that reason, I tend to send to, like I said, Vancouver, you know, Montreal, um, Toronto tend to be, or at least the larger ports of entry tend to be where I like to, to send folks. All right, a few other things to be aware of in the context of applying for a Kusma professional. Uh, like I indicated before, there's no self-employment. So a doctor can't just come up, a physician, and hang out a shingle. All right. So you actually have to be taking up employment, prearranged employment in some form, like I said, either directly or through a U.S. employer who is sending one of their workers to, you know, to provide services that have been contracted for. So you can't hang out a shingle. And just to reiterate again, it must be a professional level service. So uh, an accountant can't come in to take up a position of a bookkeeper or vice versa. Obviously, if a bookkeeper is coming up to work as an accountant, well, that's a pretty scary world, but um, they're not going to have the educational credentials. But sometimes we'll see someone coming up who has the educational credentials, but the role they're filling really isn't at a professional level. So watch for that. Another challenge we see sometimes is corporate executives who need to come in and, wow, you know, customer professional category is way easier if they had an engineering degree. But unless they're actually providing that professional level service in the designated profession they're seeking entry, and that's, you know, that's a, a, a critical component to their role, then we can see, you know, that sometimes officers will reject that and that that doesn't meet the definition because managers are not on the NAFTA professional list. Executive, senior executive, CEO, like that doesn't exist. It's, it's engineer, it's architect, it's, it's you know, uh, the whole gambit of, of health professionals, etc. So remember that. Um, and uh, then the last thing, the degree itself must be in a related field. And I'll give you a practical example of that. So there was a time when, um, I had a, a U.S. Uh, citizen who was coming up to, um, hopefully work as a graphic designer for a company in Calgary. And, uh, we looked at then the NAFTA provisions, but now Kusma, um, to see if she had a degree in a related field. And, your job as immigration lawyers and, and consultants is to is to be creative and to advocate for your clients. And so um, in this case, the individual had a communications degree from the U.S. So not, you know, a particular, you know, designation as a graphic designer, but more communications. However, within that, uh, that degree, the individual had really specialized and focused on graphic design. So is communi- a communications degree... Um, could it be considered to be in a related field? Well, possibly, maybe. So your job is to maybe get a hold of the transcript that the person has taken for their degree and see if there's a sufficient number of courses that you can draw back to whatever uh, profession that is on the list. And so don't just rule out that the person doesn't qualify uh, if their degree is, you know, not 100% in line. So advocate. As long as you're, you know, the company is willing to take that chance that a voter officer doesn't agree. Um, you know, and there's obviously risk with that. And I'm not going to get into the, uh, you know, the various units that are available in Canada to get pre-approvals on these, um, which you can, there are, there are units, um, that are out there. 
And the unit, like I said, I sometimes uh, in order to get a pre kind of a pre-assessment of these, you can get an opinion from IMWU. So essentially, essentially IMWU is the International Mobility Workers Unit. And they do have the ability for you to request an opinion. And so you can send your documentation in advance before you send the person to the port of entry if you want some assurances that, okay, you're right on, you're, you're on the right track. I found IMU to be quite um, much more strict than the border officers themselves. And so I tend to avoid them. And uh, it's, you know, simply you're going to send an email to that unit with the information that you would normally include when you're traveling, having the worker travel through, um, through the port of entry. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you're looking at, uh, using other pre-assessments, it's There's going to be delays and anytime an officer has a chance to kind of look at things a lot more, they're going to, they're going to be a little bit tougher on the actual, um, the application than, you know, arriving at the port of entry and presenting it to an officer. So, Definitely borderline cases. Sometimes people will try to err on the side of caution and go through IMU, but I tend to try to avoid it where possible um, and just trust that I'm putting together a solid application. But you can do that in advance. And I also want to let you know that this this IMU that we're talking about here, um, this special unit that a lot you know that pre-assesses these types of work permits. Um, the opinion that they give is also not binding on the border officers. So at times I have seen my border officers say, no, I don't agree with the IMU opinion. So just keep that in mind. And I just throw it out there as just kind of an extra little thing to think about. Okay, let's continue on and we'll try to wrap this up here shortly. Duration and renewal. So the good thing about these KUSMA professional work permits is that there's no cap. Uh, the initial work permit can be issued for up to three years, usually when people are actually taking up a position and they're moving to Canada, you know, uh, temporarily to to actively work as an employee for a company. Um, the initial KUSMA professional work permit, you can request up to three years. If they're an individual that's kind of parachuting in and out for work on an ongoing project, but they're really still domiciled in the U.S. or Mexico, um, then they tend to only be interested in issuing those for one or two years. But there's no harm in asking. And the best part as well is that there's no cap as long as the person can continue to demonstrate that they are truly coming in for a temporary purpose. And uh, we won't get into, excuse me, too much in terms of the renewals, but you know, ultimately the border officers do not like renewals. So if you can file in land well in advance, go through the in-canada process for extending these, that's really great. But if you are looking to try to get a new work permit um, and time it when the existing work permit is getting ready to expire, you can, you know, um, if they're outside of the country and it expires and they're coming back in, apply for a new one right at the port of entry, that's a truly a new application. But I've seen sometimes even the ports of entry when there's a week left on the work permit, they just admit the person in and say apply from inland, which is a real painful process. And we won't get into all the details with that. But um, just be aware that it is possible to uh, to get a new work permit at a port of entry, but you need to be wise where you're sending the individuals to. All right. Um, I did want to touch on some of the tricky occupations. So there are some that don't require a specific degree, one being management consultants and the other scientific technologists um, and technicians. And these two occupations don't require degrees. So when they don't require degrees, they tend to be abused more often. And when they're abused, then the officers start to treat these much more strictly than they were originally intended to be treated. And uh, there was actually subsequent negotiations uh, by all of the 
excuse me, I think it was back in 2001 by the parties, the signatories to the agreement, Canada, US and Mexico, to heighten or enhance the requirements of scientific technologists and technicians just because of perceived abuses. So when we look at, and we'll touch on the STNTs uh, first, they need to demonstrate a theoretical knowledge and the ability to actually solve practical problems in the fields of, and they've specifically identified them, agricultural sciences, astronomy, biology, chemistry, engineering, forestry, geology, geophysics, meteorology, or physics. So those specific scientific um, uh, areas, those fields, the individual needs to have theoretical knowledge and be able to solve practical problems in those areas. That's, that's step one. They also must work in support of a professional who qualifies in their own right within those fields and that the, the offer right, that the work that they're going to be performing needs to be interrelated with the work of that supervisory professional. So you can't just have someone, you know, just signing off who has nothing to do with the work that the ST&T is actually doing. Um, so they, you know, the ST&T must be managed, coordinated, and reviewed by the professional supervisor and must also provide input to the supervisor, um, their, their professional's own work. So they've added that. And then the piece de resistance is the two years of training in a relevant program of study. So that didn't, you know, that's kind of evolved over the years, but they actually um, need to demonstrate that they have got two years of training in that relevant, um, in a program of study that's relevant to the work that they're doing. All right. Um, Okay. And then the last other thing in terms of um, uh, scientific technologies and technicians is, is just remember that when you're bringing anyone in, in that capacity, sometimes you'll have someone who might be an engineer in a different country and then uh, come in and work in, uh, a, you know, an engineering technology or technician position. And it is possible to do that. Um, excuse me, but you need to be very, very clear and, and really lay it out very well um, so that the officer can simply check all the boxes that, um, that they know they're to look at, including theoretical knowledge. And in the employer letters, I, spe- I specifically address the fact that this person has theoretical knowledge of this particular, you know, discipline of astronomy, whatever it is, and they're working in support of this particular professional. And here's the professional's licensing or qualifications as, uh, you know, in that field. Uh, to show that they, you know, qualify as a professional in their own right, and they will be supporting, and this is how they're going to work on the project with this particular professional. So I leave no stone unturned when I'm trying to set these up for STTs. All right, let's shift to management consultants. This one, yes, a bachelor's degree. If you have a bachelor's degree in a related field, great. Or five years of experience as a management consultant, or five years in a field of specialty related to consulting agreement uh, related to the consulting agreement. And this is really, really quite, quite broad. And so anyone who doesn't have a degree will often try to wedge them in under the category of a management consultant. So your job is to lay it out, explain how it's all set up. And, and if a person doesn't have a degree uh, to, you know, and this is another important point, I guess I should say as well, I will also include CVs as well with my packages for my professionals showing their background, their work experience. And you know, and, and especially with management consultants, I always, always want to include that. So think of, um, basically think of the, these two occupations as requiring a heightened level of support and effort to make sure that you're covering off every single requirement that they have stipulated because the officers will be looking for it. All right. That pretty much folks covers our topic today of, of Kusma professionals. And yes, we could take hours and hours to talk about all the ins and outs and strategizing and, you know, how much detail to put in, in letters of support and, 
Um, you know, I know there's people out there that say, oh, I don't do hardly anything and they just get approved. Well, I don't operate that way. I put what I need to put in the packages and we prepare them. We have everything in place um, and we send those to the, the individual worker. We always have calls with them before they actually get on a plane so they know what to expect and that they're familiar with its, with the information that's in the package because there's nothing worse than having someone come to the border and never have even read what's in there and then say something that's contrary to what the package stipulates or what their employer expects them to be doing in Canada. And so we always have those uh, pre-departure calls with the worker to, to prep them up. And if you do that, uh, life will go a whole lot easier. But a wonderful category, Kusma Professionals, every single time I'll look at that. And remember, you don't need an LMIA. That's what's so beautiful about these uh, trade agreements. In our next episode, we will be covering um, the intercompany transfer category within, uh, within you know, uh, Kusma. Um, and we'll also touch on intercompany transfers that are built within um, the general provisions of the Immigration and uh, uh, Refugee Protection Act. So we'll just touch on some of the similarities. We'll compare and contrast them. But yeah, that will be in episode 124, the next one. All right, and Alicia will be back to join me. All right, everybody, thanks so much for joining. And I want to give a special thanks uh, for Journey Business Plans, who have been so kind to sponsor the podcast. We'll wrap up with a little message from them and I'll sign off. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. This episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is sponsored by the Canadian Immigration Institute one of the best sources of video content on Canadian immigration to help you navigate your way through the Canadian immigration process. Head on over to the YouTube channel where there's tons of video content and you can join Mark, yes, myself, in a number of live video streams, Q&As, all designed to help you navigate your way through this crazy Canadian immigration process. When you're done there, like and subscribe and then head on over to the Canadian Immigration Institute.com where you can find all those awesome DIY courses that I've been talking about. Thank you, Canadian Immigration Institute. Journey Business. You are the sponsor of this amazing little podcast. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing! Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jooorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y, number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. 
your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration.